Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. This is the Tuesday broadcast coming to you from Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I am so glad that you're beginning the new year with new anticipation. And so many great things are going to happen in this new year. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. One of the things I love about a new year is a new opportunity to gain a new vision. And I want to talk to you just briefly before I conclude uh, the message that we started yesterday, talking about best Christmas presents and how the curse of our sins started at the Garden of Eden, but how because of what Christ has done for us, that curse has been lifted off on us. Uh, Now, maybe as you're listening to the broadcast today, uh, you are looking for a church home. Now, listen, everybody needs to be involved in a church. Now, listen, a Christian without a church home is like an orphan. God has a home for you to serve. God wants you to be part of the global church. Yes, that's so vitally important. That happens at the point of salvation. You become part of the family of God, which is probably the biggest family on the planet, right? And I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. But there's also a local church that God wants you to serve in. And the local church is where you exercise your spiritual gifts. The local church is where you give your tithes and your offerings. The local church is where you grow and you become a disciple of Christ. Now, the local church is where you are involved in carrying out the Great Commission. Uh, you know, the local church is raised up to be a blessing to the community, to be a light that is shining in the darkness. And the Lord wants us to be involved in a local church. You know, that's where we grow. That's where we have our accountability. So if you're looking for a church home, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church? Now, with a new year, uh, we have just adjusted our service times just a little bit. And the new year, starting right now, as you're listening to this broadcast, we are doing 9 o'clock service inside. We are doing 1030 service inside. We're no longer doing drive-in church. We feel like it's safe for everybody to come on in and uh, enjoy the service. Listen, we have children's ministry at both services. So you have an opportunity to get your children into our amazing children's ministry called Elevate, and your kids will love it. They will enjoy it. They will learn God's word. And I think about children's ministry. You know, the goal of our children's ministry is to teach children just how much God loves them. Teach them all about God's unconditional love. So come on and join us Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1030. We're at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. I said we're the last church that you go by before you come into North Carolina. So if you come to Border Station and it says, welcome to North Carolina, you've gone too far, okay? Turn around and come on back to 3320 South Battlefield Boulevard. We're right across the street from the old fire station. They just built a brand new fire station in in Hickory, but we're right across the street from the old fire station, and I'd love to see you on Sunday. And if you come and tell me that you heard about our church through the broadcast, I've got a special gift I want to give to you, okay? Uh, So come on and join us this Sunday. Well, let's talk about the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is that I can be set free from the curse of sin. The true meaning of Christmas is that I can overcome the conflict of sin, and I can live a life that is resolving conflict, not stirring up conflict. The true meaning of Christmas is that I can be delivered from the consequences of sin. Now, I am overwhelmed by God's response to David in the sin that David committed, not only against God, but against Uriah and against Bathsheba. I mean, David had Uriah killed, Uriah the Hittite. He also had 
committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so Nathan the prophet confronts David. Now, David lived with the sin of adultery and murder for about a year. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, Nathan confronts David. Now, David acknowledges that he had done sin. And at the end of this confrontation, Nathan says these words, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. In other words, the consequences of David's sin were not going to cause him to die. Now, as we look at this, we said, this is great. Now, this is my ticket to get freedom from the consequences of my sins. But although the sin is taken away and the death sentence is removed, Nathan also says this, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. Following up, he says, nevertheless, or we could say, well, however, David, you're not going to die because of your sin. However, because this deed that you have done has utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. In spite of forgiveness, there was still some penalty for the sins that remain. And I would put penalty in quotes because I think we must distinguish between the consequences of forgiven sin from the consequences of unforgiven sin. You see, the latter are properly talking about penalties, and the former should probably be called disciplinary actions. That is, God sometimes allows disciplinary consequences to take place in our lives related to our sins. I've got a friend that many years ago, and I was asked to do his funeral. And this individual was saved a little bit later in life. He was in his 50s when he accepted Christ as a Savior. And he was what we would call a chain smoker. And uh, this man, John, every time I saw him, uh, he smoked and smoked and smoked. And then he was saved. And he was born again. And he was gloriously born again. Uh, He was a big help to me in youth ministry. I was serving in the very first church as a youth pastor. And I'm just a young guy. And I needed as much help as I could possibly find. And so John came along as a new believer. And anytime I needed anything, whether it be setting up a volleyball net or going to get food for a youth activity or driving the bus for the youth activity, John was my man. He was my go-to man. And he just helped me tremendously. Well, you know, shortly after John was converted, he developed lung cancer. And I remember he sat down with me and he says, you know, I smoked all these years and I accepted Christ as my Savior. I thought he would protect me from getting lung cancer. And I said, you know, sometimes God doesn't protect us from the consequences of our sins here on this earth, but he always protects us from the eternal consequences of our sins. You see, John had set something in motion by smoking all those years, and God decided not to suspend the law of sowing and reaping for that particular work that he did in defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about eternal consequences of sin, there is no eternal consequences for the sins of the believer. The believer's sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You know, hell was not designed originally for human occupancy. It was originally designed for the devil and his angels when they fell from heaven. But when mankind fell into sin, hell now can become their home 
if they reject the free gift of salvation. And it's available to everybody. You know, I don't know why anybody would not accept this free gift of salvation. We're living in a day and age where they tell us to do a whole lot of things out of the abundance of a caution, right? And uh, they tell you how to get the vaccine out of abundance of caution. Why are we so uh, focused on the abundance of caution, except when it comes to spiritual things? Now, listen, I'd want to be a believer in Christ, even if heaven wasn't thrown in. But I want you to know, eternal life in heaven is a gift that is given to us. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But even if I wasn't 100% sure about that, I would put my confidence in that and say, you know what? I'm going to do the best I can to accept this free gift of salvation. You know, the Bible talks about discipline. And the Bible says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. Now, as my kids were growing up, I would often have to discipline them. And the reason I would discipline them is because they were my children and I loved them. And I wanted to correct their behavior so that when they became adults, they would learn the importance of living a life of discipline. You know, I didn't go around and, 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 uh, and chastise the neighborhood kids. Uh, that wasn't my responsibility. That was their parents' responsibility. You know, we're given a, a great command in the Word of God that, that we are to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so as you raise these precious ones as mom and dad, God gives you a solemn responsibility to train them in the way they should go. And I think there's three primary areas that we've got to focus on. I think you got to focus on attitude, behavior, and conduct. And uh, and as my kids were growing up, uh, they knew that a bad attitude, copping a bad attitude would cause some major consequences. You know why that is so important? Because the greatness of a person is never determined by their aptitude. It's always by their attitude. Uh, You don't have a whole lot of control over the aptitude that you have. That's a gift that God gave you. Uh, Some people have a higher IQ than others, and there's not a whole lot that you can do really to change that uh, level of your intelligence. It's a gift that God gives you. Yeah, you can work on some things and maybe bump it up a few points, but you're not going to radically change your IQ. There's something that you can definitely change in your life, and that is your attitude. Attitude is everything. If you have the right attitude, you can turn the world upside down. If you have the wrong attitude, you can wreak havoc in this world. Listen, attitude is everything. Having the attitude of Christ, having the mindset of Christ. So attitude's big. Letter B would be behavior. Looking at the behavior of my children, I am to develop character in them. And as you think about behavior, behavior should be addressed at a very young age. So many parents get parenting backwards, right? When their children are young, they let them run loose and and they let them run free. And and they say, well, when they do things wrong, kids will be kids, right? And, And they don't allow them to be disciplined and they just kind of give them freedom. And then as they get older, uh, all of a sudden, they says, oh, no, uh, my son is 16 years old, and, and he smashed up the car, and he's staying out late at night, and, he, and he's doing drugs, and he's, and he's doing all this kind of uh, bad behavior. I tell him what I'm going to do. I'm going to restrict him, right? I'm going to give him a curfew now, and I'm going to restrict him, and, uh, and, and he's going to be grounded for the rest of his life, and uh, he's 16, 17 years old. Well, you know, it's too late. You should hold children tightly, reduce their negative influence when they're young, And then as they're older, you begin to relinquish that 
and you allow them to have more and more freedoms. So attitude, behavior, and then letter C would be conduct or character. You know, character traits are hard to undo. When you have good character traits, when you learn them as a young person, they are carried throughout the rest of your life. I think about the character trait of generosity. You know, if you're not a generous person as an adult, it's because you probably never learned to be generous as a child. And that's why when my kids were coming through, I would always remind them, hey, you got to share. Uh, we were blessed that we had five children, and so uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money when my kids were coming along, and, and so they had to share toys. Uh, they even had to share clothes, right? Uh, they'd pass them down. Uh, the oldest one would pass it down to the younger one. Uh, they would share bedrooms, right? Uh, we didn't have a big enough house that, that every child could have their own little you know, 400-square-foot bedroom or 500-square-foot bedroom. I know they had to share bedrooms. <laughs> At one time, uh, all four of my boys were in one bedroom. And uh, we had a house, and, and uh, I had a daughter, so I wanted her to have her own, own room. And, and then we had the four boys, and then we had, uh, we had a three-bedroom house is what we had. And uh, Sherry and I had our bedroom, and my daughter had her bedroom, and then the boys all shared their bedroom. And then uh, we did some remodeling and, and, uh, and, and converted the garage into a bedroom, and then they were able to kind of divide up a little more. But, you know, uh, we had seven of us in one house with two bathrooms. You know, that's not too bad when you think about it. When I was coming along, there was nine of us sharing one bathroom. All the boys had their bedroom, all the girls had their bedroom, and mom and dad had their bedroom, and we all shared the same bathroom. How in the world did we survive that? Well, you know, there was some character building going on right there. Uh, Learning how to share. That is a character trait that's an important character trait to have. You know, the older you get, the more difficult it is to develop good character. So I want to encourage you today as a parent to help your children navigate through life, realizing that just as the Lord disciplines those that he loves, we should discipline our children as well. Well, when you think about consequences of sin, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God no longer condemns us, right? The law is what condemns us. God gave the law to condemn, but the law no longer condemns those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God has taken those consequences for our sin. Now, there's one other thing that we have as a gift that is given to us as a result of receiving the gift of salvation, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. The curse has been lifted. The conflict has been lifted. The consequences have been uh, eradicated. And we are now able to conquer sin, defeat sin, not because we're so good, but because of the champion Christ. You know, the devil says, they're all mine. Jesus responded, over my dead body, right? Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Uh, this is how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Now, I love this passage, and I, I use this passage often in funerals. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, 
He gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Oh, what a joyous verse this is, realizing that we have been set free from this sin and we can defeat it every single time, all because of what Christ has done for us. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, as I think about the struggles that many believers have, if you were to ask me, what do you think the number one sin of most Christians would be? I think it is the sin of bitterness or the sin of unforgiveness. Uh, Those two kind of come together. Uh, The person that refuses to forgive is a person that's going to battle bitterness. They will never be able to conquer sin in their own lives because they refuse to be forgiven. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he gave that model prayer, he says, Father, forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. And then he says, For if we do not forgive those who trespass against us, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us of our trespasses. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that we will never be able to conquer sin in our lives until we receive forgiveness. We can never enjoy full forgiveness until we're willing to forgive others. There is a proof of the fact that I've received God's forgiveness. What is the proof? I am able to forgive others. I cannot have that root of bitterness living within me. Now, why is it that so many Christians are battling with unforgiveness and bitterness? It's because they refuse to forgive. They, they hang on to it. And I believe it could be that we have many people who are filling the pews of churches throughout America who have never been truly born again. They've had some kind of an experience. Uh, they've had an emotional high, but they've never been truly born again. Jesus put it this way, marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. You see, that which is born of the Spirit is truth. That which is born of the flesh reaps corruption. I want you to know when you experience a genuine conversion to Christ, your life is never again quite the same. So if you're battling bitterness, the first question I would ask myself is, have I truly been born again? Have I received forgiveness of my sins? If God, who is perfect, sent his one and only son to pay for my sins, as imperfect as I am, how can I not forgive somebody else? I, who is very far from perfection, how could I not forgive somebody else when the perfecter of my faith has forgiven me? You know, bitterness is a terrible sin. I think it's why many people end marriages. I think it's why many people leave good churches and leave good jobs and and leave good neighborhoods and, and leave good relationships just because they refuse to forgive. Now, many mountain climbers would regard Italian mountain climber Walter Bonetti as the greatest climber of all times. 
1954, when he was 25 years old, he was the youngest member of an Italian climbing team that became the first in the world to conquer a huge mountain called K2. K2 is the second tallest mountain in the world right after Mount Everest. This mountain is so tall, it is 28,251 feet above sea level. This mountain is amazing. It is known as the Savage Mountain due to the difficulty of the ascent. It's got the second highest fatality rate among all of the mountains that are climbed throughout our planet. Did you know that every one in four people who have reached the summit has died trying? One in four. I think that's one mountain that I'm not going to try to climb. I don't know about you. Maybe you're more ambitious than I am. But as we look at this man who wanted to ascend this mountain, Walter Bonetti, one day he had a team going, and and, uh, nobody has ascended this summit by themselves. It's always been a a group of people. You need the support of others as you climb this. And and one day, uh, he was going to climb this mountain with a team of others, and they they get up to the base camp uh, just before they made that last uh, track to the summit, and they realized that they were low on supplies. So they're going to go to a lower base camp and, uh, and get some more supplies. And it was Walter Bonetti's job to go down to the lowest base camp and get more oxygen. And he was going to bring it back to them, bring it back to the rest of the team. He was going to meet them at 12 o'clock on a particular day. Well, he went down to the base camp, got the oxygen tanks, brought them back up, and they were supposed to meet at that camp on that particular day at 12 o'clock. Bonetti arrived. However... The other team members never arrived. He waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. He thought about going to the summit by himself, but he says that would be a suicide attempt because no man has attempted it by themselves. He thought about the fact that maybe his team members had come into some sort of danger. So he waited as long as he possibly could and finally decided that he would return to the base camp. He left all of the oxygen tanks there just in case the team found their way back. He went down to the base camp. Several days later, he found that the team did come back. They found those oxygen tanks, and they went to the summit without Benetti. Benetti got thinking about that, and he concluded that they willingly went to the summit without him. They didn't want him going to that top, and so they went up there without him. He allowed that to really eat away at him. A root of bitterness took up in his life, and he became extremely angry at the other team members, feeling like they betrayed him, they abandoned him. As we look at that, in 2004, the Italian climbers who had reached that summit of K2 essentially admitted in a book that Bonetti's version of the events were true. They went to the summit, and they came back to the camp late because they didn't want Bonetti to go with them. When Benetti died in 2011, at the age of 81, his partner, Miss Rosella, who was 77 at the time, said the K2 story was a big thorn in his heart. He could not believe that even after all these many years, nobody had apologized or acknowledged the truth. This falseness had left a mark in his life. In his own book, the mountain of my life. Walter Bonetti wrote, my disappointments came from people, not the mountains. Well, maybe you're listening to me today says, 
My disappointment has been with the church, the people of the church, not the circumstances of my life. Oh, I want you to know, people are going to disappoint you. People always will disappoint you. Nobody can be Jesus in your life. You see, if you put all of your hope in your spouse, what's going to happen when your spouse dies? What's going to happen when your spouse gets sick? We are never designed to put all of our hope in a person. We're to put our hope in Christ, in Christ alone. What's going to happen to you if you put all of your hope in your health and you discover that you've lost your health? Where is your hope then? It's gone. What if you put all of your hope in your ability to make money, in this wonderful job that God has blessed you with? What's going to happen when you lose that job? You see, all of our hope should rest in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the one that can deliver us from the consequences of our sins. He is the champion of our faith. He is the one that will give us the ability to overcome everything in our lives, even the hurtful actions of others. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I must be very quick to forgive. You know, nursing a grudge never makes it better. It always makes it worse. Why don't you be quick to forgive today and discover the fact that God has released you and that person that you refused to forgive. Two people are set free. Why don't you take the lead today? Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.